to you. Very, very welcome to the gardening programme on this Saturday morning. Porrick is in studio. Good morning, Porrick. Good morning, Porrick. Deirdre. Good morning, listeners. How are we today? I'm great, yeah. yeah. Lovely and f- lovely fresh morning, isn't it? It is. Rain. Well, that's a good way of describing it. I know some people are saying, oh, a bit of a shock to the system after ah, the no. beautiful week we had. But oh, it was beautiful. It is a lovely fresh morning, absolutely. Yeah. And the, uh, d- the damp side of things really isn't going to be terribly long-lived, according at least to the forecast, no, which we are going to hold Met Aaron too. Um, and tomorrow, uh, back to slightly drier conditions yes, again. I mean, if you were to write the script for a perfect gardening, spring and, and dirty summer gardening weather, you couldn't have got it better. I mean, it's been a year, an exceptional year, really. It's been so dry. Um, relatively warm and certainly in the last week and lots and lots of, of growth and plants coming into flower. And I was even, again, remarking with somebody last night about the, the white thorn, how... I, as, how I, as was I during the week as yeah. well. It's just in such it's profusion, fabulous. really gorgeous. But it's lasting as well. Like it's, you know, it's how many weeks now is it in bloom and it's actually holding... Now, the rain today would probably... Uh, you know, bring it uh, to, to 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 a quick end, maybe. But but certainly the the heavy rain is is very welcomed, and we've got a good uh, heavy downpour all through the night. It's 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 still raining, which is exactly what the soil needs. Lawns needed it badly. Newly planted trees and shrubs, bedding plants that have gone out, all of that vegetable plants, and particularly now that's going to dry up tomorrow and back into dry weather for next week. It's just. I mean, I couldn't have written the script better myself. And it's I suppose uh, as we enter um, the whole season of um, the the garden festivals, shall we yep. say, Chelsea on this week, Bloom, more Bloom. importantly, on a domestic front, yep. uh, this coming week, um, just perfect weather for everybody getting ready for that. Absolutely. So that I imagine there's going to be incredible colour. Uh, it's going to be a great year or year for Bloom because the gardeners have been, uh, the landscapers and, and garden designers have been working on Bloom for the last six weeks um, so the, uh, it's coming to the, the final stage now and, and the uh, gardens have to be completed for Monday. Judging starts on Tuesday. Um, I'm up there. Are you involved? I am. Uh, I'm up there on Wednesday. This Wednesday we're doing is press day. Well, I always love press day because there's nobody there but me and the judges and there's generally a crew from RT maybe in. But on press day, um, it's the day before the public go in and we get to see the gardens before um, before anybody else gets to see them, I suppose. So there's nobody literally, literally there as we're walking through the gardens. So I'm going to be doing a bit of work with um, TV3 on the Wednesday, which they're going to broadcast mm-hmm. on the Friday. We're also going to hopefully do a link here with Midwest Radio. So I'll be talking about the gardens um, on the on the Wednesday with Tommy and uh, just giving people an insight into the various gardens. But there are 22 gardens, show gardens this year. Um, it's hard to believe the bloom is in its 11th year. Right. I had to look that up. You know, it's, it's 11 years that it's... And I think there's been very few years that it has actually rained at bloom. Now, there's been an odd day of heavy rain, but overall they've been very lucky, certainly in the last three to four years having exceptionally good weather. Well, um, I was out at the very first year. Right. Yeah, and I haven't actually been back since, believe ah. it or not. So maybe, maybe ah, I need it to improved. start, start a new... Well, actually, I remember being terribly impressed with it on that first initial right. year. Yeah. Um, I suppose really it was kind of the first of its kind, at least in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah. yeah. You know, they, they kind of did set the bar for themselves and they most certainly have lived up to it in the intervening period. But yeah, so I think a, a, a trip back is overdue. Absolutely. And mm. I think I, I, was, I was in Chelsea last year and, and whilst Chelsea, I suppose, is the Rolls Royce of the yeah. of the gardening year. Um, I think Bloom is actually better in that it's a far more family friendly event. Um, so the, the gardens are one thing, the twenty two gardens, and and also if people. I always re- remind people to go and see the Victorian garden 
in the Phoenix it's Park, fun. which is just adjacent to the Bloom Gardens. It's well worth, it's the walled Victorian garden. It's Michael D's garden. It's part of Norris Nuthrow. It is. It? Yes. And, and the OPW do a fantastic job there. There's a beautiful vegetable garden there, lovely fruit garden. And they also grow a whole range of herbaceous perennials, particularly bee friendly. So for bee lovers and the Phoenix Park in the last number of years, the OPW W have taken on um, the care of bees so that they've got their own aviary there and uh, produce their own honey and they grow quite a wide range of, of both flowering herbs and flowering herbaceous plants specifically for the bees and of course they want the bees in anyway to pollinate uh, both the vegetables and flowers that they have there but the wall garden is is kind of just to the side of of the bloom gardens and people often miss it so it's well worth walking in through that and, and uh, experiencing that um, of course the food village there's over 100 Irish producers again this year. Um, and of course, Borbia run are, are the uh, organisers of Bloom. So they have the horticultural side of it, the gardens and the flowers and the trees, but they also have the whole food industry to look after. So there's a, 100 Irish producers, 25 live cooking demos that have all the big celebrity names there in terms of um, the celebrity chefs. But the gardens that caught my eye that I'm going to feature on Wednesday, a couple of them that in particular, there's actually... a a dog lover's garden this is, year. Oh, is there? There is. <laughs> now, so for everybody who uh, occasionally can <clears throat> make contact with this programme wondering how, how, one, how one deals with <laughs> dogs the dogs in the garden, in the garden. Yeah. Uh, listen up. So th- this is a garden called Uncloud Canine and um, it's designed by Brian Burke who is a dog lover himself and the, the uh, Dog Trust have uh, you know commissioned this garden to be put together. So really, it's a garden that I suppose embraces pets in the home, pets in the garden and Brian has designed it in a way that, for example, he's got a scented walk for the dogs. So I'm I'm going to be very interested to see what plants he has used there. He's got things like um, tunnels built into the garden. He's got uh, activities, climbing frames and various different textile materials. So I'm going to see that and he's also using a range of plants that are um, dog friendly I suppose. So some plants can be uh, poisonous Mm -hmm. to pets. So he's going to be I suppose educating people in terms of how to put a a garden together that's very dog friendly and pet friendly in in general. So that's that's one I'm definitely going to On cloud canine. On cloud canine. I thought it was a great and just something different, a bit of fun and so on. Um, Our Ladies Children's Hospital, they're again there this year and again that's another anti Ryan has designed a beautiful garden there. It's always one I feature because it's great on camera because it's absolutely beautiful. It, it, it celebrates the best in Irish horticulture. So all the really best nurseries supply plants in for the children's, um, the crumbling hospital's uh, garden. And again, this year they're, they're, they've got, they're calling it a composer's retreat and it's really a creative garden. So it's, it's I suppose there's aspects of it for inspiration there's also aspects for it in terms of a place to reflect and a place to re- to relax and they're using a lot of water and a lot of colour and kind of little uh, nukes and crannies where you can sit and dwell Girl, and okay. think and reflect and all those those nice words so that's generally a very spectacular garden um, again the Santa Rita the wine producers they're back again this year with a, a garden called um, Live in La Vita which I think they called it last year as well from memory so it obviously worked for them it worked <laughs> for them and it was a beautiful garden I, th- I actually think it 
did it win last year? Or it was one of the very certainly it was a gold winner last year. So we this featured is kind it. of like about like the sweet life for living, living the life. life, living the life. It translates to and again this year, last year they used um, a lot of bougainvilleas and they had created this Mediterranean uh, Spanish type look to Italian Spanish type look to the garden, which was absolutely beautiful. Now it really was. It was very eye catching. So again, they're back this year. Um, Kevin De- Dennis have you actually used a different designer this year um, so he has created a very what they're describing as an exotic garden Okay. so I'll have to so see it in of, the flesh lots of big leafy uh, lots of plants, plants and things like that yeah, yeah again lots of relaxing areas lots of plants lots of vines I suppose to celebrate that connection mm-hmm. with Santa Rita and the and the, and the wine producing and area yep. And uh, so, so that's going to be certainly very colourful. Um, so there's lots of really interesting gardens this year. As I say, there's 22. 22, so that's just a flavour really. That's just, of what's you know, on there, offer, there's yeah. some of the ones I, I've picked out to feature um, on TV and, and also on the radio programme. But it's only when you go there that you actually, you, I often pick out, I've picked gardens before and when you actually go to see them, you say, oh, that actually doesn't, doesn't, doesn't quite, live up to the brief. Quite, or it doesn't quite work or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there are often other, I remember last year there was a uh, garden from China where they had imported all the materials in from China, came in in container loads and very exotic and very unusual and different. So Bloom is on. So it's really just to remind people that it's on, it starts on Thursday, this Thursday, mm-hmm. this coming Thursday, and runs right through until June 5th, which is the bank holiday Monday. Um, kids go free, okay. which is great. Tickets are available online. But we have eight pairs of tickets to give away. Excellent. So, how, does, uh, how does one get their hands on that? To, you can t- Simple. All you have to do is go on to the Horkins website and the full, de- the full uh, details of the competition are there. It's a free competition. You just uh, answer a question simply on, online. So you can either go onto our Hawkins Garden Centre page or onto our Facebook page. So check Facebook, just check Hawkins Garden Centre. There are eight sets of tickets. Just enter the competition and we'll announce them um, during the week on, on Midwest Radio. I'll let you know who the eight winners are. But it's well worth a day. It's a f- fantastic family day out. I would generally advise people to go on the Thursday or Friday, go early if you can. Mm-hmm. Generally, the Saturdays and the, and the and well, Sunday in particular and Monday are absolutely chock-a-block. I'll be there for, as I say, I'm in for press day, but I'm going to be there on the Friday, on the Sunday and on the Monday. And you've got some talks Giving going talks. On. So mm-hmm. I have six talks to give over the, 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 uh, the weekend. Some is on, on garden design. So teaching people on the kind of looking at garden design and, and really looking at this whole concept of gardens being more functional rather than being pretty. And, and we're going to be talking about that quite a bit. And there's quite a, a lot of garden design talks on this year. So it's quite a good year to go. Jerry Daly's giving some talks, for example. I'm giving talks on garden design. And there's a couple of no, other designers um, talking about that. And I'm also doing a piece on um, colour. Excellent. Adding colour to okay. your garden and, and keeping which, it simple. Which and, tends to be a hot <laughs> well, topic all of the time, uh, that, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look, at it's it's well worth um, a visit. I'd highly recommend it. Children go free. Do go early. You'll need three to four hours at, at least, least to spend there. Yeah. If give, you, your, give yourself the day. If you're taking in the food, certainly, and all the horticulture, yeah. you give yourself the day, exactly. Um, so well worth a visit. Speaking of Facebook, if people want to ask me a question, um, you can also do that through Facebook. So if, if people have, particularly if they want to take a photograph mm-hmm. of, of a problem or an issue or a plant or something in their garden, they can always take a picture and put it onto our the Horkins Facebook page and ask me a question. And that comes straight through to our messenger. And it's a great, couple of, quite a number of, of listeners have done that in the 
last couple of weeks. Yep. It's a great way to send a visual picture through if, if you have an issue or problem or you want a plant identified or whatever. So use Facebook for that as well and interact with us. Okay, let's go for the questions, Porek. Right. Uh, wh- why have my camellias got dark brown uh, leaves? Well, it's, it's hard to... There's one now that you could take a picture of if you want it. The listener want to take a picture of it and send it in to me through the Facebook page. Um, now, browning on the leaves, like camellias, remember that camellias have been brilliant this year. They flowered beautifully up till the end of April, early May, and they've gone out of flower now. This is the time when they, they're actively growing, and it's the important time to keep them very well watered and very well fed, because however well they grow during the next couple of months depends how they, they flower next season. It sounds to me that they've just gone got dry. They're either in pots and containers, or they've got dry... Um, Roots have got dry and you're getting the browning of the leaves. So look at regular water, regular feeding. That's really all they require. They don't suffer from uh, pest or diseases to any great extent. So mm-hmm. I doubt it's any kind of disease problem or pest problem. It sounds more like just the plants have dried at some stage. They are a woodland plant and they need plenty of moisture. So they like like lots and lots of moisture, like rhododendrons or uh, Chilean lanterns. They look like plenty of moisture. Um, so particularly if they're in pots and containers, that is one of the disadvantages. They can just simply dry out. But again, if the listener takes a picture of it, sends it in to me through the Facebook, I'll, I'll have a look at it. Okay, now, please, please, please tell me, what is the name of the tree with the oh. long yellow flowers? They're just amazing this year. When is the right time to plant one? Well, you could answer that one. That's so a fairly straightforward one, isn't it? That is the laburnum, Burnham, I do believe. Af- and they are absolutely brilliant, stunning this year. And this they kind of came out all overnight then, just uh, so they were kind of really instant colour, I think. Yeah, and that's the beauty of them. I and mean, when they come into flower, a bit like the flowering cherry, they just give a profusion of flower. And they're a great tree to carry on. If you've got cherries in the garden, they're kind of the next tree that comes into bloom in, in April and May. And they've been spectacular this year. So that's your laburnum, laburnum vossii. Vossii is the one to go for because it doesn't produce the seed. Remember that laburnums are in the pea family. And they produce little seeds. The common variety can produce seeds like peas, mm-hmm. which are poisonous. Okay. So if you're purchasing a, a laburnum tree, look for the variety vossii. V-O-S-S-I-I-I. Um, it, it's, um, it doesn't produce seed and so it's very safe. It's, it's a lot safer in the garden. But a great time to plant them. Planting trees in general, because they're in leaf now, it's, it's a really good time to get yourself a, a, a tree that's been grown in a pot and get it into the ground, particularly after this rain, it would be ideal. So a really good time to plant laburnum in the garden and it's easy to grow. It me- makes a medium-sized tree, as you can see. It's often actually a very good plant as well for training over arches or if you had a large trellis work or pergola mm. because it's got very flexible stems. You can bend them very easy. They're very green and they bend. So that it can actually be used as a climbing plant. And the yellow flowers then hang down like wisteria. Like wisteria. Yeah, they'll hang down through. Now, you need a big pergola for it if you had a really big wall and you wanted to train just some, for something different. Mm. So rather than growing it as a as tree, a tree yeah. get a young plant and you can actually grow it as a climbing plant or okay. a wall plant as well because the branches are so flexible and easy to bend. Um, but yeah, look, a very simple plant to grow. It's laburnum and now is a great time to plant it. Okay, and does it need any particular kind of soil no, or anything it, like it, that? No, if anything, it actually does really well. What's it? What's it? Because it's you know, it's it's a reasonable size tree, so its roots. Do you, you know, do you have to consider where you're planting it and all that kind of thing? Yeah, it's it's reasonable size, but it still would be classed as a relatively medium to small tree. And actually, because it's in the pea family, peas produce their own nutrition. They trap nitrogen from the atmosphere, and um, you know, they actually feed themselves. So laburnums actually do very well on shallow, uh, impoverished soil. In heavy, wet soils, they can actually, the roots can rot on them, they can fall over. So they actually do very well on kind of hungry ground. Um, and it also, it's a way of keeping the tree nice and small and they tend to flower better. Um, but um, so 
plant in a lawn area, plant it, you know, it'll grow in ordinary garden soil. It dislikes wetness in the soil, heavy okay. wet soils, it'll just rot away. Or if the soil is excessively heavy um, or sticky, it dislikes that. So free draining, reasonably good soil. It, it, they're not fussy in terms of fo- soil type as long as it's not excessively wet. Now, uh, lawns and uh, the, I suppose, dry weather is kind of making its presence felt and also people are treating the moss. So uh, Maria has put zero on the lawn yesterday. It had a lot of brown patches. Will it take long to green it up? Also, um, Maria would like to plant a laurel hedge. The problem is it is close to a lalandii that I cut down a few months ago. What should I do with the roots of the lalandii? Will it cause trouble? Okay, so sticking with the lawns, the the zero will, first of all, kill the moss, which presumably what the listener wants to do but it also has a greening effect so it gives it a nice green colour so it'll take about a week and particularly if you, if they, it went on yesterday and we've got the rain now to wash it in that's just going to be fantastic it's really going to help to green it up so by this day week Maria's lawn should be looking fantastic and lawns in general I would feed lawns now um, you know, any time over the next couple of days with mm. that high level of moisture, if you get some fertiliser on now, it's going to be very effective. So it's a really good time to feed lawns in general. Now use the straight lawn feed, something like the Osmo Park and Fairway. It doesn't have a weed killer or a moss killer in it, but it's just a straight lawn feed. It greens up the lawn and gives it a really rich colour. In terms of the Lelandii, <clears throat> The, okay, so at this stage, she's cut them back to ground level. The stumps are there. They're not going to reshoot again. If you want to aid the um, rotting of the stems, you can bore holes into it and put in a little bit of SBK stump killer okay. or any of the, the stump yeah. killers. Um, but you can safely, do, those Lelandias will never start to root again anyway. So just to aid the kind of rotting, you could treat them with a, a, stump, a stump treatment. So dig, bore a couple of holes into it, put the treatment into it, and that will just get the, the stump to rot off that bit faster. So as long as the soil between the uh, in the area where Marie wants to put in the laurels, they'll be perfectly fine. And over time, the stumps are just going to rot down anyway and decompose back into the soil. soil. So as long as there's enough soil, physical soil there, to plant between the laylands or to the front of them or to the back of them, then that'll be perfectly fine. Yeah, Possibly dig a trench. You know, dig a trench maybe eight inches, two feet deep, Uh similar in diameter. Put some rotten manure or some garden compost into the base of that. Put back the soil and then plant the hedge along it. It'll be perfectly fine. But the leylands will, will not shoot again. So it's not like they're going to just pop up. Now, if it was poplars or ash trees or other trees would certainly, white thorn would reroot again by just cutting the stump down. You wouldn't kill the actual tree. Right. Sycamore would come back again. But leylandii haven't got that ability. Once you cut them to ground level, they're dead. Okay. Effectively. There you go. <laughs> uh, for uh, We've got a wedding in August. What bedding plants for my pots will last? Well, August is a is a really easy time because most of the bedding plants are actually at their at their finest and, and full colour at that time of year. So plants I'd consider for pots. There's a lovely plant called Agaranthemum, um, which are in flower at the moment, but flower right through till September uh, into October. Begonias would be really good. Impatiens, the busy lizzies, would be excellent. Um, French marigolds would still be in flower. White lobelia. Most of the bedding. I don't think you can really go wrong, to be honest, with August. Um, so plant them now over the next couple of weeks. And um, what I normally do is pinch back the plants. So when you plant them, take out the centres, take out any flowers that might be on the plant. So if there's a few marigold flowers beginning to bloom, take those out. Um, and that helps to bulk up the plant, feed them well, and there'll be a f- 
a riot of colour then in, in August. Non-stop begonias would be excellent. They, they're in full bloom in August. You plant them now. They're actually in flower at the moment. So plant them now and they'll flower again right through. The, the trick really is to keep liquid feed them, keep them, get the plant growing nice and bushy and strong um, liquid feed it during the summer, keep them well watered, keep the, the, the snails and slugs away from them and they'll be in full flower for, for August. August. So the real reliable ones would be, I suppose, the begonias, the um, Sempervirens one variety which have the small flowers or the non-stop which have the really big showy flowers. Mm. The Bizzalizis are very reliable, marigolds, um, all of those are, are very very sort of agaranthamum for pots is lovely as well. Okay, and here now we have a, a wedding a little closer next weekend. All right, okay. <laughs> so somebody would like some white flowering <clears throat> shrubs to fill in some gaps in the shrubs. beds. Okay. Yeah, uh, that are well plants in flower with white color. So, with white flowers. Yeah. Well, there's a lovely there's a lovely um, there's a lovely viburnum in flower at the moment. I was admiring it during the week. It's a, a viburnum called viburnum opulus snowball. So the name suggests it's these snowball-like flowers, pure white at this time of year. And um, so that's quite a nice plant if you want colour at the moment. Yeah. Um, and generally when you purchase them, they tend to be relatively big plants. So you, you know, so, they're, be, so, so they're not... They're not, they're they're not, not tiny yeah. bitty things. They're, they're generally be, they're three to four feet high, quite bushy with these snowball-like pure white flowers and they're in bloom at the moment. The flowers on, on um, Viburnum opulus snowball are sterile which means that they don't produce seed, which means that they tend to last longer. Longer, okay. Because the function of any plant is to produce seed, and once it does, it does its job done and stops flowering. So the function of this one is just to be a flower? To be a flower, exactly. That's all it can do. (laughs) (laughs) Snowball, poor old snowball. Um, So the flowers are sterile. um, It's pure white flowers. It's in flower at the moment, so that would be quite nice. Um, Arum lilies, the, the arum lilies are in bloom at the moment. They're lovely. The big white, really? yeah, they're yeah. just coming in. They're stunning. Yeah. yeah, there's a, a shrub called Spirea bridal bridal wreath, bridal wreath. Am I saying that right? Bridal wreath. So, uh, so and and as the name suggests, Spirea. It's, it's Spirea bridal wreath. Yeah, bridal it's a wreath. pure white flowering Spirea, um, very colourful at the moment. Um, and again, I suppose it has that um, long stems. That's where it gets its name from, like a like a wreath, like a bride would hold the wreath of flowers. Yes. Um, so pure white flowers, easy shrub to grow. It's in full flower at the moment, particularly if the listener wants white. So if it's white is the agenda, I would have Viburnum opulus snowball. I would have some of the arum lilies and I would have some of the um, spirea. Okay. Uh, they'd be three good plants. They're the agaranthemum that I mentioned as well, they come in white as well and they're in flower at the moment so they're lovely in pots and containers. It's a daisy-like flower with a yellow centre but again they're pure white or they come in shades of pink or in shades of red. Okay, and in terms of shape as well there you've got lots of different... You, exactly, you've got you the daisy, the you've got yep. the big lilies, you've got the snowball, yeah, so you've got a bit of yeah. everything going on. So any of those could be planted and good weather actually for planting at the moment now with that drop of rain. Now, listener with a lot of bedding plants growing in a tunnel, how often should they water? Well, I'd start, consider now moving them, start, consider planting them out. Um, so, a uh, good idea to move them out now. But generally, watering in the tunnel is every two weeks, or every, sorry, twice a week at this time of year. So, twice a week. You can, if you overwater, you'll end up with plants that have disease problems. They'll be floppy, falling over. So, actually keeping them slightly dry um, in the tunnel is, is not a bad trick because you're actually keeping the plant... It, it's helping to keep the plant more compact, more bushy. Um, if it's getting too much water, you get a legginess, they tend to fall over and you're inviting disease problems into the area as well. So I'm thinking my own tunnel, it's full of, it's full of hanging baskets for the Turlock community. 
um, and, and I was actually watering them on, uh, where are we now? I was watering them on Thursday night and they hadn't been watered until the previous weekend. Okay. So I watered them probably Sunday and I watered them again on Thursday. Thursday. And, uh, you know, and, and it was just, the time was right because they were just beginning to dry. You know, and, and they were and, ready to soak it yeah, up. Yeah, and the other thing to do with bedding plants is remember to keep them keep them pinched back. I know I mentioned that a lot, but it does make a hell of a difference if you just take out the growing points, take off the flowers, get them to bulk up first of all. Um, and um, so watering twice a week. Now, on my purple beech hedge is growing really well. I noticed right. some of the tops of the leaves are a little bit sticky. Right. Um, so I'm just wondering, do they have a disease or is there no, no. something wrong with them? Well, it, what you've got on it is a little bit of white aphid, which is uh, when you see stickiness on any plant, I, I see the sycamores at the moment are covered in uh, in aphids, um, you know, quite sticky stems and, and leaves on them. But beech is the same. It tends to get this white aphid. And plants like lupins and many plants, roses, are getting aphid attack at the moment. So that's white aphid on beech trees. So for hedges that have gone in in the last year or two, my advice is to spray them with uh, an insecticide. So something like the, the PY, and um, that organic natural spray is quite a good one to use. So they're just small white aphids that are attacking the top of the, the beech uh, growing points. They're sucking the sap out and that's what you're getting when you see that stickiness. That's the, the residue of the aphid feeding on the plant that's what they're excreting onto the plant. So when you see that stickiness on on any plant, it's a sure sign there's some pest feeding on it. So get rid of that. Give them a feed as well. If you have beech in the garden, give them a a handful of fertiliser now. And um, because now is the time they're actively growing. So now is the time to feed them. Now, I put too strong a mix of Dicofar lawn weed killer on my lawn a few days ago with a knapsack sprayer. And now the lawn has turned brown. What can I do to get it back green again? So dicoflower is the one for the daisies and it stuff? It is. It sure is. Dicoflower, yeah. So dicoflower is used on lawns for daisies, buttercups, all the broadleaf weeds. It's actually very effective on mare's tail as well. For people of mare's tail in the garden, <laughs> I find it very effective. Um, so dicoflower. So yeah, look, if it went on to, and that will apply with any herbicide. If you put it on too strong, particularly in sunny, dry weather, you get this scorching effect. So you're right, the, the the treatment when it goes onto the leaf acts like a magnifying glass, holding a magnifying glass to the leaf and it burns, the sun burns the actual. So, so that's where you're getting the browning. Now, the good news is it'll come back from that. So a bit of patience. You could feed the lawn, give it a, a dressing of straight lawn fertiliser, but it will reshoot again. So give it a week to 10 days. It'll come back perfectly fine. And the good news is that the weeds will be all dead. I was going to say, well. will at least the initial purpose, <laughs> it uh, will. The, the aim will have been achieved. Yeah, it will. Okay. Yeah, it'll kill the thing. But do be careful. I mean, with, with, with weed killers, you've got to, you know, follow the application rate. It's very, yeah. it states it very clearly. I know sometimes, and I'd be guilty of that myself, going, I'll have a, I'll give it a little bit extra. An, an extra. It might need it. And I always remind people that the man Manufacturers won't tell you to use too little. <laughs> so stick to the manufacturers, uh, particularly in dry weather. When you get very dry weather like we're having, you know, the temptation is to go out and spray, but you get that, um, you can get that mm-hmm. scorching on plants. So, um, and the same applies when you put on liquid feeds. The same thing can apply if you're watering or you're using liquid feeds in the middle of the day when the sun is up there, it can actually burn plants. So it's better to wa- do that early in the morning or in the evening time and let it dry onto the leaf. Okay, so be a bit... the sun, yeah. But, but look, the good news is the, if you feed that lawn, it will come back from... It's just a scorching. It'll reshoot again at the base and it'll be perfectly fine and weed-free. Now, one more and we'll take a break. How do you get rid of the twisted weed from around the hydrangea? We moved it, but the weed is still coming up. 
Okay, well, that's convolvulus or bindweed, which it grows like an ivy, well, a lot faster than an ivy. It grows kind of four or five feet in the one season. Um, it's herbaceous. It dies back at the end of the year. So when you when you dig it or, or try to move it, you're actually propagating the plant. The best way to treat it, it should be about a foot high at the moment. So if the listener gets themselves a small bit of Roundup gel, so it's like hair gel, you simply put it onto the, the, the leaf of the bindweed and that'll kill it off. Use a rubber glove when you're applying it. Applying it. Yeah. Okay. Great. So can I buy a lilac tree at the moment? I don't see them for sale. Oh yeah, no, no, they're they're available. We have them in the garden centre in many different colours. Um they come in two two types. You've got the kind of regular lilac, the large uh, bush or, or semi-tree variety uh, varieties like um, Charles Joy or, or um, there's many many of the big varieties but they also come in a dwarf version as well that'll only grow maybe two feet in height so it's a great time for planting lilac they were super this year really colourful and uh, they come in a range of whites pinks and, and purples but yeah good time to plant them now, somebody's question on mushroom kits. They bought a mushroom kit recently, a couple of weeks back, followed instructions, um, kept it at, is it 12 plus degrees? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not doing anything. When do you think they should see something? Well, it generally takes about a month for the, the mushrooms to start to grow. And also, they tend to come sporadic. So you won't get this lovely flush. They won't all, right. Yeah. They tend to come in, in bits and pieces. So basically what it is, is, is it, the way they grow the mushrooms commercially is using a mixture of horse manure, a special compost, and then it's impregnated with the mushroom spawn. And then when you create the right climate, cool 12 degrees, but kind of dark, damp conditions, you get the, the spores to start to grow. Um, but generally in those mushroom kits, they tend to be, you get sporadic um, growth because you you can't mim- mimic the perfect conditions that they mimic in the in the mushroom tunnels, um, you know, where the humidity is checked and the moisture is checked and the temperature is checked and, 24 and, hours. And they're in the dark all the time. They're in right? the dark as well. Yeah. yeah. In the dark. So you've got to mimic those conditions. Now, the instructions tell you that, but in a house, in a situation, you know, it's in a household situation, it's hard to mimic that. The, the temperature could be right, but the moisture levels maybe not right or the humidity. So generally with the, with those kits that you get, they're more a novelty item. And, um, yeah, because I was going to say, we you have much of a yield off them? You, well, over, generally you'd hold the kit for maybe five to six weeks because it would produce the mushrooms over that period. Mm-hmm. But they are sporadic. You might get a little cluster here. A couple of days later you get a cluster more. So it's more a novelty item than, then, than anything else. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you might still be buying a few mushrooms. I think you would. You definitely would, yeah. I noticed some pink bubbles on the top of my black currant plants. Okay. Is this due to the heat or what might be causing the problem? No, it's due to um, green fly. So green fly, when you see those kind of pink, like blisters, they're like blisters on the top of um, the the blackcurrants. Now it doesn't do them a whole lot of harm, to be honest, um, unless there's a heavy infestation there. But if you un- if you turn the leaf over, you'll see the small aphids underneath and on the young growth. Again, you can use the the py spray; would be very safe to use um, on that. And look at with this sort of heat, we're going to see caterpillars, aphids, white fly. They're going to be knocking about on on plants in general and trees in general as well. Um, if they're strong, robust plants, there's generally little need to, to spray. If they're young, vulnerable plants, then do take some control on them. So blackcurrants are kind of, they're easy to grow. They're, if anything, the aphid is keeping the plant smaller and, and, and shorter and it's, you know, it's holding the plant it's, back. Okay. So unless they're terribly badly affected. The other thing you can simply do is snip off the top six inches of growth on the blackcurrant plants, dump it, they'll reshoot again and they'll be perfectly fine. If you, so you can avoid spraying completely by just removing the top growth. 
Now, what tree or shrub would you recommend for a ruby wedding anniversary? A ruby? What is ru- ru- ruby? 20? No? Oh, I think it's more than that. Is it? 30, 30. 30. Thank you. 30, Kathy. there you go. <laughs> I was going to say 60, but no, I think that's diamond or something. Well, I think a lovely okay, tree. Okay, so ruby is 30. Particularly at this time of year, if you want a tree that's just coming into flower at the moment, there's a lovely tree called cornus, the cornus um, uh, trees which are produce star like flowers and they come in shades of white pure white varieties or in varieties that have um, a reddish or kind of ruby colour um, so they're just beginning to flower at the moment it makes a, a tree possibly 12-15 feet in height it always flowers in May June sort of period so particularly if the anniversary is around this period it'll come into flower every year it'll be something different um, you know compared to your, the traditional cherry or, or normal tree. So th- they're the cornus trees um, and they come in a range of different varieties and um, they're, they're well worth planting and, and they come in a whole range of different colours okay. as well. Now there are plenty of other trees like... I suppose maybe, I wonder if people are thinking of uh, kind of the reddy colour for well, the ruby? Well some of, yeah, and some of the, the cornus varieties will have red in the flower or deep pink or white depending on the variety. But if you want something with red foliage um, you've got the acers, acers which are lovely at the moment yeah they the, look really good yeah and there's great colour in them um, so there's Crimson Century which is a, a really uh, port wine uh, fantastic colour in the foliage so that's Acer Crimson Century uh, a great time to plant them at this time of year and there's Crimson King as well there's many many varieties or even one of the Japanese maples mm-hmm. a fantastic colour and are beautiful this year and have got that lovely red coloration. Um there's also a um a cherry um burgundy red which has red foliage and pink flowers which again the red foliage it, it retains through the the summer period. Okay, I've just been corrected now. I, I misheard uh, the information. It's 40th 40. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> just, there you go. So rest assured <laughs> everyone we're taking that on board. All right. So okay. look at all of those trees still apply. 40 or 50, 40 or 50 any or 30, of those yeah, and look at this is a great time for planting them the, the soil conditions are perfect for getting a tree in now it's a lovely way to mark an occasion isn't it it actually it really is and you know it's there obviously then for the lo- for the long term yeah um, and the fact that you know if they do come into flower at the time it, it really just you know kind of marks the occasion in a lovely way um, and I suppose that's partly maybe what gardens should all be about you know that they're creating memories as yeah. the householders kind of move on in life now, that, that cornice I mentioned actually mm-hmm. There's, there's a variety called Milky Way which like the as the name suggests the Milky Way and the stars quite a nice one or Stella is the red one but at Bloom you'll see lots of them in flower it's one of the trees that are kind of featured at Bloom because it's a particularly nice and, and generally it's a tree that people are saying well, what's that? And it's, in, and it's in flower at this time of it's the year? It's in flower you see so they'll be, they'll be beautiful in Bloom next uh, at the Bloom show next, uh, next weekend. Next weekend. Is it okay to plant bare root plants or small trees at this time of the year? Well, bare root, the bare root season really runs from October through to November. Bare root plants are those that are grown in a nursery environment. They're dug up during the winter months when they're dormant and they're planted over the winter period. Um, so generally the season kicks off again in October. So I would leave it till October, early November. And any time through that winter period up to the middle of March, you can plant your bare root plants. Now, any cure for variegated hostas that get a fungal disease on their leaves. They grow brilliantly but become very tatty from the disease. They're not short of water and the green varieties aren't affected. Yeah, and some varieties won't be. That's powdery mildew or it can be downy mildew. They're both... Um, just slightly different types of, of um, mildews. The powdery mildew, like the name suggests, is like a small coating of flour or, or you know, it gives this kind of white coloration and which goes brown in time on the leaf. It's like an extra skin on the leaf of the mm. hosta. Um, 
So, and look, when we get kind of humid weather, um, you tend to get mildews knocking about on, on many plants, not just hostas, mm. but on trees. And, and um, so uh, one of the fung- fungicides, so if you use something like rose clare, would be very effective. Now, really, you need to be using it early. So if the disease is on it at the moment, then, you know, it's it's very hard to arrest that. But if you prevent it, so if you use the rose clear or rose rescue on the plant um, in April and May, before the actual disease comes on it, you prevent it from coming on the first instance. So um, one of those treatments will keep it clean. So it's just a fungal disease on, and you'll see it on lots of plants, lots even wild plants will, you know, I see it on weeds even at the moment. Right, uh, so there's no escape. Yeah, so there isn't, you know, it's just <laughs> even the this hardiest. time of year, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, we're going to stay with <clears throat> mildew type questions for a second, but let move on to gooseberries um, and also black spots on the leaves of a pear tree. Any cure for that? So what's on the gooseberries? So we've got mildew on the oh, gooseberries. Mildew, yeah, gooseberry, yeah. American mm. mildew. So again, you'd use again something like um, anything with a fungicide in it. So again, you could use the rose clear again. And gooseberries tend to get that American mildew anyway. So you would normally spray for it as a preventative method anyway and fruit trees in general the bee, the flowers are finished now so the bees aren't visiting the, the actual fruiting plants apple trees have finished flowering pears and whatever mm-hmm. so it's a good idea this time of year to give them a couple of treatments when you're spraying your roses give the apple trees and fruit trees in general a spray as well because in Rose Clear or Rose Rescue, you've got the fungicide and you've got the insecticide to control any bugs or diseases. Um, so an application of that possibly once a fortnight for the next couple of weeks will help to keep them clean. Now, I can't get my agapanthus to flower. I've had them a few years and I have about 15 or 20 of them. Okay. So agapanthus is the African lily. Mm-hmm. Beautiful plant. Um, generally comes into flower, depends on the variety, but they're generally in flower uh, more towards kind of June, mid-June, uh, you know, July, August sort of period. Um, what they need is a bright, open area so they need the sun they need to be baked in the sun so a bright warm area is the is the first critical thing for them the second thing is they need free draining soil so they if the soil is excessively wet um or heavy they tend not to flower very well so you know it, the first requirement is make sure that it's in a bright sunny location um uh, you know so that's critical really for them um the other thing you can do at this time of year is to feed them is to give them a little bit of rose feed or an osmo feed it would be good just to bring on the plants but they they generally settle down to flowering and if anything once the clump once they're kind of 3 or 4 years old they tend to flower better so, you know, they can be shy the first couple of years, a bit like the peony rose right, that we last yeah. year. And then once they, they get a, a nice-sized clump, they tend to flower very well. So I'd persevere with them. Hi, I'm looking for some nice plants for their leaf colour uh, that will stay low and grow in Belmullet beside the sea. I'd like some reds, purples and yellows, please. Okay. So, <laughs> well, what you want to go for is a collection of, I suppose, hardy, hardy shrubs. So things like, um, there's a nice variegated hebe, um, called Elliptica variegata, which has variegated leaves. It's very, very bright. It's green and yellow in the leaf. It actually produces a nice blue flower as well and does exceptionally well in seaside locations. So it's a, a hardy, no-nonsense plant, retains the foliage 12 months of the year and produces those lovely blue flowers. So that's Elliptica variegata. Um, there's another one called Jewel of the Nile, which again has variegated leaves, longer leaves um, and a pinkish a pinkish flower, again, it's in the Heba family and it does exceptionally well in coastal areas. Some of the euonymus plants would be nice as well. There's a couple of different varieties of euonymus. Blondie is quite a good one. It stays low to the ground. Um, as the name suggests, it's kind of, it's a, I was going to say blonde, but yellow, bright yellow in the centre of the leaf um, with a dark green edge. Again, easy to grow, 
nice colourful plant. Dwarf Berberus is one called okay. Bagatelle. Like the band. Like the band. Like the band. Uh, so Berber's Bagatelle, which again makes a small ball of purple foliage. So it's a really dark purple leafed plant. It's in full leaf at the moment. does produce a small orange flower, but it's mainly, mainly going for that ball of colour. Pittosporum Tom Thumb. Tom Thumb. Tom Thumb, okay. Tom Thumb. So it's a dwarf variety of Pittosporum. Again, it's evergreen, retains its leaf. 12 months of the year. The older leaves are a dark dillus colour, so they're purple in colour, and the new growth is a bright apple green. Well, now you have loads of colour there, Mr. <laughs> and Can I do no more? <laughs> anymore? So, Tom Tom, good seaside plant, and th- many of those plants look better planted in groups of threes, fives, sevens. So, rather than having a whole platter of different plants, maybe concentrate on three or four and put them in, in clusters of fives or sixes and, you know, create that kind of clustered effect. And you'll see that at Bloom used a lot next next weekend. They tend to cluster. Yeah, so they'll put the hostas together in a group or the dianthus or the pittosporums or whatever it might be. And you get that strong clustered effect. Put on which a looks show. Which looks yeah. The hostas as well are great. Now, they do die back in winter, but yeah. there's, there's a lovely variety called Hosta Patriot, which has white and green in the leaf. And it's a stunning, bright, really, really bright, attractive hosta variety mm. and tends to hold the colour long into the season. Yeah, I'm a big fan of hostas, I think. I they're think. Great. Yeah, I, I, I just Even love, just a bed of so hostas. lush looking. They are. Yeah. And, they're, and they're actually very easy to grow. They love our West of Ireland weather because they like the moisture. They're hardy as old boots. I actually dug, I had some in my own garden. I dug them up last weekend <laughs> in the middle of the growing season. Cut them back, split them up. So from the one plant I've 20 new plants. And they're all... In the middle of May, like, when, when you, you when intuitively you'd be saying, no, I, I shouldn't know, be I shouldn't touching this. <laughs> Wait I just, until later. I, I had to move this, so I said, here goes. And they're absolutely, they're doing brilliantly. Fantastic. Repotted them, cut them back, and they're coming back. So they're a really easy, hardy plant. So that's Hosta Patriot. It's a really nice one, variegated foliage. Um, and even just to put a cluster of them together would look really well. So there's lots of lots of plans for Balmollet. Now, would it still be okay to trim laurels? They're fairly big, so yeah, Declan. Yeah, yeah, no, cut them back. Trim them now. Trim them now, yeah. And, you know, even young laurel, if you have it in the garden, because there's going to be a, a, a surge of growth now. So even just to tip them back, trim them back. But in general, this would be a great time, mid-May. Because it, by pruning them now, you're going to get all the whole season's growth. They're going to kick into growth straight away and you'll have June, July of, of new growth on the plants. Um, I have a mature monkey puzzle, but the lower branches are turning brown and it's creeping up I the layers. I have told you that question as soon as you mentioned monkey puzzle. The tree. Why is, is that something that <laughs> That's happens, what happens all the time? Naturally, yeah. Naturally. Yeah. All right. They come from Chile. They originate from Chile, and in the wild, the monkey puzzle um, produces. So, if people don't know it, it's a conifer. Um, and basically, it's got these really spiky stems. Um, it produces nuts. That's and the monkey, the monkeys in the wild actually go up through the tree to get these delicious nuts right at the very top. Mm-hmm. So they produce as a mature tree, they produce these uh, edible nuts. Um, so and and watching the monkeys trying to navigate the thorny, that's how it gets its name from. Uh, so the common name of monkey puzzle. So it's a conifer, um, and. Uh, in the wild, this is exactly what happens to it. It loses its lower branches, so the older branches are sacrificed by the tree for the younger growth on top. So right in the wild, in their in their natural habitat, this is how they grow. So It's uh, doing what it's supposed to do. It does, it is. And the thing about the monkey puzzle um, is that it is a, it's a very big, vigorous conifer, and it's more suited to parkland. You know, it's the sort of tree you, you 
planting a large estate or in a you know in, in a parkland and area a big open area a big open area because it needs a deep soil so if you've got shallow soil it tends to lose the branches earlier so once it gets hungry or once it gets to a mature size it naturally starts to drop its older branches so that's it's it's doing what it does in nature to be honest there's, there's nothing wrong with the plant it's probably in the wrong location to be honest it's too big of a plant for normal for- garden use now, uh, probably just want to finish up with Park. When can I move my camellia and magnolia tree that don't have any, or don't have many leaves left on it? Well, if they're in pots or containers, you can move them straight away, no problem whatsoever. Just lift them, replant them. Remember, both are ericaceous plants, which means they dislike lime in the soil. So add plenty of lime-free compost when you're planting them, and add a lime-free fertilizer. So that's if they're in pots and move them out into the open ground. You can do that now. Water them heavily before you do that. If they're planted in the garden and you want to move them, then leave them till November and they can be safely dug up and transplanted. Now, a little trick, if you are moving plants in the autumn, what you can do at this time of year is to put the spade down around the plant. Mm -hmm. So don't dig the plant up, but just use the spade to undercut the roots. So just go around in a circular motion, maybe two or three feet out from the plant, and you're slicing into the roots. And effectively what you're doing is pruning the roots and the roots will regrow again and you're preparing it for that I lift think. in November. So you're oh. just going around and you're, you're serrating the roots, you're cutting the roots with a spade, you're not lifting the plant, it'll regrow again underneath the ground, the roots will regrow and oh. produce a nice fibrous root, and then you lift it in the autumn and it, it lifts easy peasy. Okay. Well, on that There's a little tip for you now. Easy peasy <laughs> note. We'll have to uh, so remember draw things bloom. to a... Yeah, Bloom and... Bloom, uh, I hope to be on with Tommy on Wednesday morning just to give you an insight into Bloom. And um, I'm on TV3 on Friday, uh, so you can join me there. I'm with Sean O'Rourke on Wednesday as well, so I give you an insight into Bloom. And then I'm back here Saturday. Okay, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> a busy week, Park. Well, look at enjoy. And I, I think to. there's going to be lots of really exciting things at Bloom. Thanks indeed for your company over the last couple of hours. Stand by Michael Neary on the way next with Country Classics. I'm back next Saturday just after seven. Until then, have yourselves a great weekend.